Welcome to the Go and Teach Bible Study program presented by the Monta Vista Church of Christ in Phoenix, Arizona. We want to thank you for joining us today as we examine the truth of God's Word and the answers it holds to life's most important questions. If you have questions about this lesson or would like to study further, please contact us at montavistacoc.com. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word together. Thank you for joining me on the Go and Teach radio program. My name is Ryan Goodwin. I preach for the Monte Vista Church of Christ here in Phoenix, Arizona. Every December 25th, a great number of people around the world celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Some remember the occasion by setting up a manger scene in their front yard. They depict the characters and events of that first night of our Lord's physical life here in this world. Others celebrate by attending annual Christmas services at a nearby church. Still, there are others who believe they commemorate Jesus' birth by practicing the prevalent customs of our society, such as spending time with family or gift-giving, decorating the home with lights and seasonally-themed figurines. Now, with all the stereotypes surrounding Christmas, though, has mainstream society really lost track of what it means? I'll give you an example that I noticed recently. My kids love Christmas specials on TV. You know, every cartoon, every TV show, every kind of series or franchise, they have their own Christmas special every year. And something that has become abundantly clear to me is that every Christmas special comes to a different conclusion about what Christmas means. Some Christmas specials come to the conclusion that Christmas is found in your heart and the warmth of friendship and family. Other Christmas specials come to the conclusion that Christmas is found in gift-giving, in being charitable and kind and willing to share with others. And other Christmas specials come to the conclusion that Christmas is about celebrating the birth of baby Jesus, and that that must be at the center of our Christmas celebrations. Sometimes it's about believing in Santa Claus, or believing in magic, or falling in love with a certain time of year, the weather, the snow, the the pageantry of it all. Every Christmas special seems to come to a different conclusion about what Christmas means. So what does Christmas mean? And is December 25th really even the best way to celebrate Christmas? Is Christmas nothing more than just a time of goodwill to men and peace on earth? And of course, I want to make something clear that as we read about the birth of our Savior in the Gospels, there is certainly something to be celebrated. The angels in heaven were celebrating the birth of Jesus. As they say in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. This multitude of the heavenly host was praising God because of the coming of the Savior of this world. And that is to be celebrated. That's an amazing thing. You might even be able to make the argument that the birth of Jesus was the second most important event in all of human history. Second, only to Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. So there are some things about Christmas that people should understand. 
But our society is so permeated with misconceptions about both Jesus and the day of his birth that many people have fallen into the trap of just indifference. They would rather just believe the tradition than believe the truth. They would rather indulge in the pageantry than really get into the text of the Bible and find out what exactly happened and what exactly it's supposed to mean. I guess the question we should ask is, does it matter that most people who celebrate Christmas can't even find the events of the birth of Jesus in the Bible? Or that when they do find those events, that their assumptions about certain details have been wrong, and they simply glaze over them for the sake of human tradition? So let's spend our time in our program today considering Jesus Christ. For in the events of his birth, there are some amazing lessons. Lessons, to be sure that many people have never even considered due to the prevalence of Christmas traditions that don't stand up to the test of Scripture. So let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and see what this gospel account has to say about the birth of Jesus. In verse 1, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Now we'll stop there for just a second here. I appreciate, by the way, that the writer of this gospel, a man named Luke, who was a physician and an educated individual, felt like it was important to include some of these historical details, that we're able to date these events based on the information that Luke gives us is absolutely astounding. So, after Mary's miraculous conception by the power of God, there was an edict that was proclaimed by Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of the entire Roman Empire. That's what's meant, by the way, of the known world or the inhabited earth. That they wanted to take a census of what they believed was as far as Roman civilization went. And to them, of course, Roman civilization was the light and everything outside of it was just darkness. Those were the fringes of the empire, the faraway lands filled with heathens and barbarians. So they wanted a census of what was the known world, the inhabited earth, inhabited by civilization, inhabited by society. In the text, we're given some precise information that it was Augustus ruling at the time in Rome, and that was from 27 BC to 13 AD, and that the current governor of Syria was a man named Quirinius. And details like this should make us see that the Bible was written as a historical document, not merely as just a good story or a myth. See, you don't get the same thing in myths and legends and fables. You don't get the same thing from Johnny Appleseed. You don't get the same thing from Middle Earth. You don't get the same thing from Harry Potter. There aren't precise dates and locations given because those are works of fiction. And the writers acknowledged that and understood that. And they didn't feel like they had to include those historical references in their works of fiction. Now, with the census underway, Joseph and Mary proceed to Bethlehem, which is located in the vicinity of Jerusalem in Judea. Now, they go to Bethlehem because it's the city of David. It's the city of their forefathers. At least it's the city of Joseph's forefathers by his parental lineage. 
Now, because Mary and Joseph were engaged at this time, Mary would legally have been considered part of Joseph's household. That's why she goes with him. Even though their marriage has not been consummated yet, she goes with him so that she can register in the census under his family name. So while they're in Bethlehem, in what I'm sure was an entirely unexpected situation, Mary ends up giving birth to Jesus. Of course, this fulfills a prophecy back in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 in the Old Testament that Bethlehem would not be considered the lowest of the cities of Judea because it would be the birthplace of the Savior. So let's go back to Luke 2 and pick up in verse 6. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So unfortunately in the town, while everybody was there registering for the census, there were no rooms available at the inn. So it ended up being necessary for Joseph and Mary to seek shelter in some kind of an outbuilding. Isn't it interesting to consider the fact that Jesus' entrance into the world was rather a precarious affair? There was no fanfare. There was no glory. There was no assurance of safety. He was born without proper housing around him and at a time when political tensions were very high. He was born during the time where the Herods were running Judea. What's amazing, though, is that God's plans never fail, no matter what the odds are. The infant, who would later on be named Jesus, could have died at any moment, vulnerable as he was. Yet God never needs ideal conditions to succeed. His will is always done, no matter what the odds are. So we pick up then and we find the shepherds that are a a frequent set of characters in any Christmas pageant, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them in verse 10, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Let's stop there for a second and make a few comments along the way. First, let's think about this whole idea of Christmas happening on December 25th. There's a reference in verse 8 that says the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night. And something kind of interesting about that is that in the vicinity of Jerusalem, the average low temperature on December 25th is between 40 and 43 degrees Fahrenheit. So some people come to the conclusion that Christmas could not possibly be December 25th, that Jesus could not have been born on that date in the middle of winter, because it simply would have been too cold to keep flocks of sheep out at night. Now, as to the validity of that argument, I can only give you my own opinion. I do think that it has some validity. I do think that there's something to be said about looking at the time of year that tradition has placed the birth of Jesus and comparing it to what you actually see here in the Bible text, and it doesn't square up very well, does it? 
Now, I'll let you come to your own conclusion on that. Just ponder it as something to think about. I have heard other sources that offer counter-arguments to this and justify December 25th as being the exact date, or at least close to the date of the birth of Jesus. But to me, my main issue is this. I don't see anywhere in the Bible that commands me to celebrate on a specific day the birth of Jesus at all. The Bible does not come out anywhere and say that it was December 25th or that it was some other date. The Bible doesn't see that as being an important thing, that celebrating the birth of Jesus as some defined, commanded holiday simply doesn't exist in the Bible. So maybe he was born on December 25th. By sheer coincidence, one out of 365 days, it's possible that he was born on December 25th. But it's also possible that December 25th as Christmas is just the result of syncretism between early Roman Catholicism and the pagan festivals of the people they were trying to convert to their version of Christianity. I don't know. There are all kinds of conspiracy theories out there about December 25th being Christmas. And of course, I'm being tongue-in-cheek calling them conspiracy theories. But to me, you just have to go back to the simple explanation, which is, The Bible doesn't say what day it was. The Bible never commands us to celebrate the birth of Jesus on a specific day. And if those things are true, that's all we need to worry about. We celebrate the birth of Jesus not on his birthday, because we can't know what that is. We celebrate it all the time we ponder his life, what he did, what he offered to us. 33 years of service and ministry to the people of his time period— Years of teaching written down by his apostles, wisdom that came straight from God. He is God, and he was God for 33 years while dwelling in flesh. And then he sacrificed himself. He offered that body of flesh as a sacrifice for our sins. All people for all time who would come to him are saved. And to the Bible, that's a much bigger deal. To people who believe in the Bible, that's a much bigger deal. And that's why we're commanded not to celebrate his death on just one day, but we're commanded to celebrate his death to honor him and to remember him every Lord's Day, every first day of the week. But with all that being said, perhaps more as a response to just the overt commercialization of Christmas and the elevation of December 25th as if it's some kind of truly holy day, an edict from God, I say all that as a response. But from our text in Luke chapter 2, it is clear that the birth of Jesus ought to be celebrated. That host in heaven, the angel who presented the good news to those shepherds, Those heavenly beings did regard Jesus' birth as a monumental moment in human history, something that was worth commemorating, something that was worth seeing, something that those shepherds wouldn't want to miss. Getting back to the text of Luke 2, it says again in 1314, Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. It's important to point this out, that for as often as we see at least part of this phrase used around the Christmas holiday season, I do fear that people have missed the meaning of it. Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth, peace among men. And, and most people stop there, don't they? As if that's the point. Glory to God, and on earth, peace among men. But they forget that last phrase, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Even though the tone for the coming of the Messiah was an incredibly joyful one, there was also another side to it. Jesus didn't just come to this world to bring joy to people. Jesus also came to bring judgment. Jesus came to prophesy judgment against Jerusalem specifically in Matthew chapter 24. He came to prophesy about the judgment of all people on the last day. In fact, he even says in John chapter 5 and verse 22 of himself, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. And he goes on to talk about the final judgment on the last day. That's an important part of Jesus' ministry also. The joy, to be sure, is what defines his ministry. The joy, the love, the spiritual peace that we find in him and him alone. But for those who reject the call of the gospel, for those who reject both Jesus and his message and what he asks us to do in response, the commandments of Jesus, it's not going to be peace and it's not going to be joy. It's going to be punishment. And throughout his ministry, Jesus was not afraid to use phrases like weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's not afraid to tell people that if you disobey, that if you don't accept the message, if you don't heed the warning in the words of the gospel, you will be cast out into outer darkness. There's a consequence that comes with rejecting the gospel. So with our last few minutes, I just want to ask, what is the reason for the season? That's something that we see a lot on commercials or on people's t-shirts or bumper stickers. What's the reason for the season? What does Christmas really mean to our society? Every one of those Christmas specials was telling my kids a different message. Now, they're positive messages, and I'm happy to talk to my kids about the importance of sharing and giving, of charity. I'm happy to talk to my kids about the importance of spending time with family, of propagating love in this world, of kindness and goodwill. Those are good and positive messages. But what does Christmas really mean? As a matter of religious duty, it has become customary for many churches to spend a great deal of energy diverting time and resources to the celebration of a holiday that I'm not sure most Christians understand. Mainstream Christians become outraged when others don't share their views on Christmas or when city-sponsored activities remove any references to Christ. Special worship assemblies are devoted to Christmas, either traditional Christmas Eve mass or some kind of a pageant performed by the children or a special night of singing Christmas carols and reciting Jesus' birth story. People get so angry when a manger scene is desecrated or when people want to remove the word Christmas from holiday cards or Starbucks cups. And while there's nothing wrong with celebrating the birth of our Lord, we need to consider whether Jesus even wants such activities to be made a part of the work of his church. Is celebrating Christmas even worship in the eyes of God? If we're celebrating Christmas in that traditional 21st century Americanized version that we so often think of it. First of all, we know what Jesus thinks about human tradition, don't we? In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, 
And most aspects of Christmas, again, the Americanized modern version of Christmas is so couched in gift giving and Christmas trees and Santa Claus. Most of these things are just made up more of custom than biblical legislation. Decorations, the traditional meals, the Christmas trees, even the time that we devote to friends and family, while all of these things can be very enjoyable activities that make a day worth celebrating, they're not biblical ordinances. They're not commandments from God. Furthermore, most of the Christmas plays that we see in the pageants, they often retell the story incorrectly anyway, forgetting such basic things as from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, that when the wise men came to see Jesus, they came months after his birth, long after his birth, not the same day. It wasn't that Jesus in the manger had a receiving line of first the shepherds showed up and then the three wise men came with their gifts. No, they came long after Jesus was already born. It's hardly part of the Christmas story at all. Beyond all that, we need to remember what the Lord himself said, that this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And I wonder, and perhaps this is the most challenging thing I'm going to say today, but I wonder, all those people who celebrate Christmas, do they actually have their lives right with God? How many churches out there who put on special Christmas Eve services teach and practice the truth of the gospel and are willing to take those people who come to a special Christmas Eve service and teach them the things that they need to hear? Not the things that they came to hear, but the things they need to hear. How many households with a manger scene in the front yard actually attend worship every Sunday and not just a couple of Sundays a year? How many people who celebrate Christmas celebrate Jesus through their actions every single day. The reason for the season, according to many mainstream Christians, is to celebrate Christ's birth. But does that glorify God? At least, does that glorify God as much as daily living does? A more appropriate way of glorifying God would be celebrating our Lord's entire life, especially his death on a cross, commanded of every Christian every Sunday not just once a year. Consider the fact that there is only one holiday instituted in the gospel itself, which is the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, Sunday. And what we celebrate on Sunday is not Christ's birth, but his death. According to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, we are commemorating the death of our Lord and Savior. And the emblems of that holiday are not gifts and decorations and cookies and eggnog, but solemn acts of worship in the form of Christ's body and blood, bread and the fruit of the vine. And we do that in remembrance of him. There is a much bigger reason for the season than just celebrating his birth. Why not celebrate Christ every day, commemorating his entire life by realizing that his purpose was to save his people from their sins in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. Now, I don't mean to be a downer. I'm certainly no Christmas Grinch. We love the Christmas season. Our children love the gifts. We love the decorations. And yes, I even like those Christmas specials. I guess as I'm getting older, maybe I'm getting a little bit more sentimental. But I do like all those Christmas specials. But let's remember that the birth of Jesus was only the first step, at least physically speaking, to a ministry that touches our lives to this very day. 
Jesus wants us saved from our sins. That is the most important thing to him. That is what he came to do. And that is exactly the opportunity that you have right now. Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life and sacrificed himself on a cross. He was the guilt offering for all of our sins, that we might come to God through him and have all of our sins washed away. We stand before God clean, perfect, holy, not self-derived, but from him. If we're willing to confess our belief in Jesus Christ and obey all of the commandments that have been given by him and through his apostles... So if you have any spiritual need or you'd like to study this or any other topic more closely, then please reach out to Monte Vista and we'd love to sit down and open up our Bibles together. And as always, have a very blessed day. Thank you for joining us today. To hear this program again, please visit our website at montevistacoc.com. If you're in the Phoenix area, come visit us at the Monte Vista Church of Christ. We're located at 2202 North 40th Street. We have Bible classes for all ages each Sunday morning at 9.30 and again on Wednesday night at 7. For more information about the Monte Vista Church of Christ or to request a personal Bible study, please go to montavistacoc.com. Hallelujah.